marvelousness of the Almighty God. That's what we talked about last week, by the way. If you aren't here, I encourage you to go back and listen because uh, really fundamentally uh, to recapture the reverence and awe of God. That's so essential for us as we walk through the rest of Malachi. So as you turn to Malachi chapter 2, that's where we're going to be today, beginning in verse 10. There was a man walking on the beach in California. He was a man of faith, and he began to pray. He said, Lord, would you please grant me one wish? And all of a sudden, there were clouds in the sky, and a booming voice came from the clouds. Uh, Yeah, today I'll grant you one wish. You've, You've been working really hard at being faithful. So he said, the man thought about it, one wish out of all things, like, God, would you build me a bridge to Hawaii so I can visit there anytime I want? And God said, well, I certainly could do that, but I want you to think about how much concrete that would take, how much steel that would take, how much work that would take by people when we had to pay them. And, and uh, it seems kind of materialistic, that, that question. Certainly could do it, but could you think of something that might give me more glory? So the man began to think, and he said, okay. Lord, I wish that I could, would you grant me this one wish, that, uh, that I could understand women, the way they think, the reason they feel the way they feel, why they cry, why, and what they mean when they say nothing, and how, <laughs> and how I can make a woman happy. Amen. To which God responded, how many lanes would you like on that bridge? We laugh because we know it's true, men. And women, you're probably laughing because you know it's true of us men. We don't, you can't understand us either, and it goes both ways. Always, uh, I like to tell jokes. We like to laugh. But there's a couple of things within that little story uh, this, that uh, we will talk about today. One is faithfulness. Faithfulness. And the other is this aspect of trying to uh, how we connect and relate to one another. Specifically, we're going to talk about marriage. We'll get there in a little bit. So we're walking through the book of Malachi. In Malachi, we've said, I believe that's uh, the, the one that was up before that, is uh, underneath Malachi, the tagline, is a call to return. And we've said, if you're new today, some of you guys are new. We've been walking this journey for several weeks. We said that, it, that this is uh, written over 400 years before Christ, And God gave this message through Malachi, the prophet Malachi, to his people. And this was 80 years after God's people had come back out of Babylon from the Babylonian exile of 70 years. They come back into their homeland, so to speak, and they began to build their houses. They began to build their towns in those 80 years. And last not least for them, it actually was least, they built the temple. Should have built it in the other order, right? They should have built the temple so they have a place to worship. Should have built their houses and then built the towns kind of in that order. But they did not. In those, in those 80 years, they had, uh, they had strayed from God. Those were hard years for them. Last week, we talked about one of the reasons, if not one of the fundamental reasons, that they had gone astray. And the reality is it was the priest's fault. And we talked about this last week. It's tough. Uh, The priest had gone away and they weren't teaching the word of God like it should have been. And so God calls the priest out. He says, look, you're you're not leading the people. You're not teaching. How would they know any better if they're not taught so? And so we've walked this journey together. God's chosen people had a worship problem. 
a few weeks ago we talked about that, that, that they weren't giving God their best. That's what worship is. So the people of God had a worship problem. Last week we talked about the people of God had a reverence problem. They had an awe problem. They had lost that, that secret sauce uh, of being believers in the one true God, that, that we have that awe, and, and that shapes us in every way. But today we're going to talk about the people of God had a faithfulness problem. And this is uh, going to be a fun one for us. Luke chapter, I mean, it's Luke, Malachi chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 10. But if we rewind a few verses, we have this verse that says this in verse 8. You priests have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. And so the priestly failure is causing these God's chosen people, the causing them to to stumble. And so what, what, what were they failing to do? They were failing to teach God's word for what it was. They, they were not teaching it uh, accurately. And so when, when that is true in the community of God, here it's the God-chosen people. For us, it's the, the modern-day church. When that is not done, done well, a few things happen. One is the clarity of vision to avoid moral traps, to know right from wrong uh, is not there, but the strength also to stand against the temptation of sin and the enemy is gone. Uh, many times in the Old Testament, I thought this week, this is a little picture of, of what's going on as we pick up in verse 10. Many times in the Old Testament, there is a famine in the land uh, for all kinds of reasons. There's uh, times when the, there's no rain, other kind of things that happen, and they're not able to get food. And, and what does that cause? It causes mal- malnutrition when we don't have the, that that we need. And so when, using that picture, when there is a famine in a famine of the word of God in the, the land of God. What, is that, what does that do? Well, the spiritual nutrients to enable the eye to see sin for what it is, is no longer there. And the, the spiritual nourishment to build up the muscle to stand strong against the temptation of sin is no longer there. And that's what's happening in the book of Malachi. They, they've lost their sight of what, what is right and wrong. And they've lost their ability to stand up toward the wrong because the ministry of the word, that's the word I want to use as we open up God's word. The ministry of the word had been neglected. When the ministry of the word goes wrong or is lacking, many are caused to stumble. That's what it says in verse eight. And as we open up God's word, that's exactly why we do so. I understand that uh, what, what we are here to do today as we open up God's word is we are here to encounter the ministry of God's word. You are not here to get a word from me because I have nothing good to offer you. I don't. Uh, but you are here for the ministry of the word. I believe strongly that, that if we encounter the ministry of the word, God's holy and errant word today, we will all be transformed. Not sure what that means for you, but I do know there is power when we encounter the ministry of the word. So let's begin in verse 10. As was last week, these are tough, these are tough verses that's very challenging for us as uh, you will see. Verse 10, do we not all have one father? Did not one God create us? God's asking his people these questions. Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors 
by being unfaithful to one another. Judah has been unfaithful. Uh, By the way, your versions may say a different word. Your versions may say faithless. Uh, That word is used five times in our passage. The, the, The Hebrew word is translated several different ways, but the Hebrew word is is bogad. Uh, I have a hard time with that word because I'm from East Texas, so I like to say bogad. You know, it says I, I have a, I got to extend it out, but it's it's bogad, and it means it can be translated treacherously, deceitfully, uh, or offended, uh, but it can be translated faithlessly, or sometimes in the NIV it's translated unfaithful. If we had more time, I'm always constricted with time on Sunday mornings. If we had more time, I would take us to Jeremiah chapter three. There is a slight distinction in the Old Testament between the idea of being faithless and unfaithful. In Jeremiah chapter three, it talks about the people of Israel being faithless and the people of Judah being unfaithful. And there's a distinction between the two and it's small, but there is a difference. What's the difference? I'll give it to you in about 15 seconds. Israel had the consequences of sin, but they didn't know any better. They were faithless. But Judah got to watch Israel fall. Israel fell first, but yet they still chose not to obey God. And so they were called unfaithful because they knew better. And that's the distinction, right? Faithless means you don't know any better. Unfaithful means you knew better, but you still chose to do wrong. And so we move forward. A detestable thing. Some of your words say abomination. That's a strong word. Uh, Some of your words, uh, some of your versions probably say treacherous. These things... That, that we're going to talk about just make God sick. It's, it's detestable. It's an abomination. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign God. A little later on, as I just want to press pause uh, a few times as we read on. A little later on, it talks about that, that to be faithful to uh, the, the wife of their youth. And so, uh, the question has been asked by many, like, why are they marrying people from other, other, um, other nations that, who worship foreign gods? Well, um, you got to know that this is 80 years after the exile. I think uh, Ezra spoke to this in the book of Ezra. Uh, as God's chosen people came back uh, from, from the exile, that during that time, those 70 years, God's people were intermarrying with people in Babylon, and they were people who worshiped lots of gods. They weren't people of, that worshiped the one true God. And so they came back and brought them with them, and then more people began to war against Israel. They started marrying them, and this was happening. And Ezra says, hey, that's not right. That ain't right, right? That's what we say around here. That's not right. Go back. What did God say so many times? And, and we can read time after time in the first five books of the Bible that it says, that, hey, that, that uh, do not intermarry with anyone else. And God had a reason for that, lots of reasons for that. And so why were they marrying? One is just maybe practicality. Maybe there weren't enough women around. We don't really know. Uh, so, some people think that, that it talks about the women of their youth, that, that as they got older, the youth failed their wife. And so they decided to trade up, upgrade, if you will. Uh, that sounds horrible. Uh, like, it still happens today, doesn't it? Let's just be honest. They were trading up. Or uh, some people think, if not more, think that it's the last scenario where in those days, if you married a woman, you would get a dowry. You would get, you would get some resources, some money. And some people think that, that the people of Israel had very little, very little means. Is, but if they would go and marry a Babylonian, uh, they very well could have had come, got a lot of money. And isn't that interesting that 
most likely, the most likely reasons for this happening is beauty and money. Nothing new under the sun, right? That's still happening today, let's be honest. So prevalent. And so they're marrying women who worship a foreign god. As for the man who does this, what, what happens? Whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why? God, why don't you accept our, our offerings and with favor? Why don't you accept them? And so he answers. It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. There's that phrase, the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. I love that verse. What rises to top to me is that, that our spouse or uh, that we are covenant partners. We're going to come back to that, but that's just that's such a cool, rich idea that, that our spouses, that the God has brought us together to be a covenant partners. Verse 15, has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The men who hates The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect. What's that saying? Our our, our duty as a husband is to protect and to lift up our wife. And so when we are unfaithful, our our hands are, are, are bloody, so to speak. Violence toward the one that we love. Gruesome here, says the Lord Almighty. So again, he says, be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. So Today, before we jump in and unpack this, um, if I were, if I were uh, to give you some homework, would you go this week and take a pencil or pen, if you like to write in your Bible, and go and, and circle the times that it says covenant? There's two. I think the idea of covenant is essential to the understanding of this passage. And then go and underline all the times God uses the word bogad unfaithful or faithless. Just, it's five of them. Just go ahead because I think that's, that's the crux of, of what it's talking about, that there is a call. Last week we talked about a call to listen and a call to awe. There is a call to faithfulness. There is a call to being faithful in our lives, and it is so clear. And we're going to unpack three areas today that God wants us to be faithful toward to really work on. But before we do, let, let me uh, be clear. Our faithful and faithful or faithful nature, whichever one it is, our faithless or faithful nature, whichever one it is, is not fundamentally about what we do in our practice but instead, it's about the position of our heart. Why do I say that? Go back to last week, right? We said that, that in, in the end, our, our, our pathway to obedience was what? Listen, take to heart, and obey. Well, what, what, what were those things as we unpacked them? Listen means, God, I hear you. God, I'm listening. 
God, I hear you. Take to heart, which means, God, I agree with you. You are right, and I agree with what you are telling me about who you are, about who I am, and about what's going on in this world or in my life. And then I obey you. You go and, and put it into practice. And so, so fundamentally, uh, th- this, uh, whether we are or we, not, we are not being faithful, it's not about the things that are faithful or faithless. Instead, it's deeper than that. It's about the position of our heart. And so to do that, we've got to do a little introspection. And so faithfulness is not catalyzed by doing right things, but instead by right treasuring of the right things. So I really want us to bear down on those things. There were three areas as we talk about the the priest who were not leading well. And because they're not teaching God's word, doing the ministry of the word faithfully, the people are stumbling in many ways. And there are three specific ways. I'm going to give them to you. Now you can go ahead and write them in the blank. I'm going to give them all three to you. There are three ways that, that they are stumbling. They were guilty of being faithless in three areas to others and to God and to their spouses. And there's a reason why in the title of the message it, says, it just says faith blank. Because we have a choice to be faithless, or we have a choice to live faithful. And so there's a blank there, and that's our choice, right? Faithless or faithful. These people, God's chosen people, 400 years before Jesus were struggling, specifically in those three areas. Others, God, and their spouses. Let's talk about that. The first is others. They were, they have a problem being unfaithful to one another. It asks the question, why do we profane the covenant in verse 10 of our ancestors? What is that covenant? The covenant in the first five books of the Bible is the Abrahamic covenant. It's all the covenants that God made throughout the, the Torah. Why do we profane it? That's not a good word. Why do we curse it? Why do we profane our, of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one Another. You see, there's, there's a one anothering that's talking about. We don't really know. I think that verse 10 is a little bit more generic, and verse 11 and verse 16 is very poignant, specific to one way that, that God's chosen people were being unfaithful or faithless. But I, I believe verse 10 is a little bit more open-ended to the idea that God has called us into community his chosen community. And, and, and there's two ways to live in that community. The first is this. It's, it's covenantal order. It's covenantal order. And if we live according to the covenants of God, then God's people, these people would have known, they would have been very familiar with the idea of shalom. We translate that peace, but it's deeper than that. It's completeness or, or fulfillment. If, if we live in, in, in a, a fulfillment and fidelity and a, a faithfulness to the covenant order, those covenants, those promises, those contracts, those commitments that God's word specifically talks about that God meant for good. If we do those things, then the peace of God, the, the, all the good things that we're looking for in life will fall into place. Well, what does that mean? Like practically, what does that mean? That means children to parents being faithful. That means parents to kids. That means wives to husbands and husbands uh, to wife. God's word is very specific to all of those things. It talks about employer to employee, citizen to state, and we can go on. But, but when there's a fidelity to the covenants of God, there is a covenantal order that leads to peace and joy. It leads to shalom. We could say this, the very fabric of the community 
is the trustworthiness of its people within it. Are you, are you with me? Our community of God is as good as our trustworthiness of the people within it. So the question is, do they keep their commitments? We know these people aren't. So it's the opposite. What's the opposite of covenantal order? I would, I would say it's selfish disorder. Selfish disorder. Confident, the, the opposite of covenantal disorder is our choice to live on our own. We could say it's selfish disorder. In this community, the spirit of commitment making and commitment keeping has been replaced by a spirit of an emotional and physical impulse. The, the moral faithfulness goes down to not what God says was best. It's best on what I think is going to be best for me and what I'm going to benefit from it and my gratification. And so God says, they're, they're, that's our choice in verse 10. It's like, why have you been unfaithful to the covenant? Like things are going awry. You guys are in a bad place. Look, look, this, there is consequences to what you're doing. And it seems very relevant for today, doesn't it? Couldn't be more relevant. Five times God says, uh, don't be faithless. And he urges us, uh, on the positive, he urges us to covenant making and covenant keeping as being the fabric of our life together, that, that we would live trustworthy lives, that we would be faithful to the way God has taught us. So, so what is the root of this that's happening is faithlessness? I think it's selfishness. The deepest part is, is, is we are a selfish people and I am a selfish person. I'll just be transparent. We all are, aren't we? I mean, if we were all honest, we are, we are a selfish people. And so when he asks these questions, do we not all have one father? The sin is sinning against our common father. When he asks the question, has not one God created us? We are sinning against our common creator. When he asks, why do you deal treacherously each against his brother? We're sinning against our brothers and sisters that we are in community with Why do you profane the covenant of our fathers and we are sinning against and violating the fundamental law of our biblical uh, community? And so when we talk about this connection to others, we have to realize what God is saying through the prophet Malachi is that our private choices have public consequences. And it goes both ways, by the way. When we live faithlessly, unfaithfully, that has negative consequences for the koinonia of the community of God. And when we live faithfully, it has shalom, peace, life-giving, because that is what the covenant is for. It is for, remember, in, in chapter one, life and peace, right? And so when we tap into that and are faithful, man, it benefits the kingdom of God. And so the question for us today is how is our othering going? Are we being faithful? Are we trustworthy with the way we are dealing with each other? The second is to God. This is really the fundamental thing for all of the Mal all of Malachi. I'm not going to go into depth in this one, but verse 11 and following talks about how they have they have neglected the covenant. Whose covenant is it? Well, it's God's covenant. He started it. Actually, the definition of covenant is it's, it's not a contract like we think of, like what contract between one and another on earth. And what's the difference between a contract and a, and a covenant? There's a spiritual essence that God is in it. That's the covenant, that God is a part of it. And so it's not as much based on the, the faithfulness or unfaithfulness of the two parties. It's based on God's faithfulness to the one that he brings that covenant toward. But there is a faithlessness 
to God described in verse 11, that Judah has been unfaithful and, and, and it is detestable to him. In Exodus chapter 34, verses 11 to 16, talks about what we're talking about here. I'm going to read it. You don't have to turn there. God gives them some instructions in Exodus, and, and he does, he puts the, you could use the term of boundaries or guidelines for the law, and, and guidelines and boundaries are important. Just like a river needs, needs uh, banks for it to stay within itself, we need some banks or everything's going to go awry and flood. So here's some banks for God's chosen people in light of verse 11 and following. He says this, observe what I command you this day. Behold, I am driving out from before you the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest it be a snare in your midst. So he's saying, hey, be careful. Because if you intermix with these other cultures that don't follow the one true God, be careful. Why? Because there's going to be a snare within your midst. But instead, you shall destroy their altars. You shall break their sacred pillars and cut down their wooden images. For you shall worship no other God. For the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. That's strong. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. And they play the harlot with their gods and make sacrifice to their gods. And the one of them invites you and you eat of his sacrifice. And you take of his daughters of the sons. And his daughters play the harlot with their gods. And make your sons play the harlot with their gods. Listen. All that's bad stuff. I'm not going to unpack that. Every one of us would agree that that's all bad. And where does all that come from? It's a choice to choose other things other than the ways of God. Choose to intermarry with others outside of saying that 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 they were doing is is a a heinous thing, and it's not good for them, and it's not good for for anyone. And so Malachi is a letter to get the Jewish people to wake up and say, look, we know that you've been not been doing this right. We know that you've been unfaithful. We know that you have been faithless. It's very clear. Look at your family. Look at what you're doing. Look at the state of your culture and return back to me. So faithless to others, faithless to God. And the remainder of our verses talk about faithfulness or faithlessness to our spouses. It talks about um, divorce. Actually, verse, uh, if you look at verse 16, it's a very difficult passage to, to, in, to uh, interpret. There is some discussion among scholars. If you look at verse 16, it says, the man who hates in the NIV that I'm reading out of, or if you're reading out of NIESV, it reads similarly. The man who hates and divorces his wife says, the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. The, the New York Standard Version says it differently because it interprets the connections of where the hate should be applied toward. And it says, first, first words in verse 16, God hates divorce. And he does. So no matter how you interpret that verse, verse 16, the, the meaning is really clear that God hates divorce. And there is a call back to that thing that was mentioned twice, once in verse 14 and once in verse uh, 16. Sorry, once in verse 15 for marriage. And do not be unfaithful to the wife of your, of your youth in verse six, the end of verse 16. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. I am not today going to spend a lot of time talking about divorce. 
Uh, divorce is never okay, although sometimes permissible within the context of Scripture. But we did spend a good amount of time, a whole message on that, back in the fall when we uh, unpacked Mark chapter 10, verses 1 to 10. I encourage you to go back in our sermon uh, catalog online, or you can go to, one of, to our podcast, any podcast platform. You can go back and find that passage, that sermon on divorce, because there's much to understand and think about when it comes uh, to that. The Pharisees basically ask, hey, Jesus, when's it okay to get a divorce? And instead of answering that, they're asking, hey, when's it, when's it okay to leave a marriage? Jesus answered with the definition and the reason for marriage, and instead of, he gives them a reason to stay in marriage. But here we see, if you hate your wife and divorce this wife, or God hates divorce, we see this here. It's a call for us to be faithful instead of being faithless. And if you are here today, if you are unmarried, and one day you're planning on getting married, these verses should inform what you look for. What should you look for? You should look someone, look for someone who is, Paul describes in 1 Corinthians, that you should not be unequally yoked. What does that mean? That is Y-O-K-E, not Y-O-L-K, because that's what we ate for breakfast, right? Yoke, not that. Yoke, Y-O-K-E. What, what is a yoke? It's that thing that you put between the oxen, right? And you put it, why would you do that? To make their job easier, to help them do more that they are built to do. Well, the same is true of marriage. Do not be unequally yoked. You, you, you want to have, uh, have the exact same faith in the one true God. Why? Because God is, marriage is a yoke to, that has a purpose that you do things together. And so God's perfect plan for us is that we be equally yoked. And so for you who are unmarried today, if that's what you look for. Is this someone who understands who God is and fears God like I do and has an awe of God like I do? And if you are married today, then these verses give us something to strive for. It gives us a mark out in front of us, and that is complete faithfulness to what in verse 14 Malachi describes as our covenantal partner because we have a purpose. We, we, become, we go, go from being two people to one, right? That's what God's word says. Jesus recaptures that in Mark chapter 10. The two become one flesh, but why? To bring glory to God. They are yoked together to bring glory to God with three specific ways that, that we bring in marriage. Not, this is not exhaustive, but three specific ways that we bring glory to God in our marriages. Let's talk about that. The first is this right there in our passage is that we raise our kids in the ways of the Lord. That's really, really important to the heart of God. It's really important, really important to us and, and our community and our nation and the world that, that we realize that's our purpose in coming together is to, if God blesses us with kids, to raise them in the ways of the Lord, but also that we live on mission together. That's the second, that God puts us together to become one so that we can bring glory to his name as we share his name with as many people as possible. That's really cool. We have a purpose. We have a sacred purpose for our marriage. And so it's not just that we're happy, although God wants us to be happy, right? It's not good for man to be alone. That's why women came around in the first place, right? And so raising kids in the ways of the Lord, living on mission. But what is the third? It's one that I'm working on. The third is that we cherish one another. I'm learning this. 
Why is it important that spouses cherish one another? Because it's a picture of the gospel. You see, marriage, as God intended, is the clearest picture of the gospel of God in our life. What do you mean by that? When someone sees marriage as God intended, what do they see? They see all the attributes of God extended to us all the time. Grace, mercy, faithfulness, love, goodness, loving kindness. We can go on and on and on. All those things that God gives to us, even though we don't deserve it. When we do that in a marriage, even though we don't deserve it, because I don't deserve that from my wife, and she doesn't deserve it from me either. None of us deserve it. But when we give it generously as God gives, people will see, like, man, there's something different. Well, what is different? Well, it's God's design. God made it. God created it. And he has a purpose uh, for it. And so Malachi says twice, he says, stay on guard. So how do we do that? Like practically in our life, how do we stay on guard so that we're not unfaithful to our, our spouses? goes back to what we talked about last week. It's not for, first and foremost by, 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 it's not first and foremost the things defined by the things we do, although that's important because that's what unfaithfulness is. Instead, it's by treasuring our spouse. And that's what cherishing is, like truly uh, treasuring. I told you last week we went to, me and Jennifer went to a, a marriage retreat and there was a, uh, I didn't take a picture of it, but I should have. There was a, a phrase that he put up. He, he says that, that we all should love our spouse, but we should make a healthy transition from loving to even better than that, cherishing our spouse. And he says something like this. And I, I should have taken a picture, but I didn't. But it said something like this. It says, love says, I won't leave you. Okay? It says, cherish says, I won't ignore you. I will treasure you and I will showcase you. Do you get the significant difference there? All right, I'll give it to you again, if I can remember it. <laughs> love says, I won't leave you. And man, we should love each other. We should love our spouses. But cherish says, I won't ignore you. I will treasure you. And I will showcase you. I will build you up. And when people see you, you're going to be better by the way I treat you, the way I see you. You see, that is what God wants for us. And so I'll give you an assignment right now. If your wife is next to you, if it's not your wife, this might be a little odd to the person next to you. <laughs> Look at them right now and say, I treasure you. Come on, go for it. I treasure you. I'll just be honest with, with you. Like, I'm learning of myself. <laughs> Some of you did it to someone else. and like, man, that was weird. <laughs> I, I, I do love and cherish my wife, but honestly, just something that I've got to work hard at is I'm just not very good at showing her that. I don't know if that's your problem. That's my problem. It's my problem. I've got to really work on that. Listen, we've all got work to do. All of us are practitioners of a healthy marriage, not perfectioners of a healthy marriage, Right? And so we work at this. Why? Because it gives glory to God. It blesses our kids. It nourishes our community, our biblical community. And God, God wants more than anything today for us to hear that, that we need to be more faithful to cherish 
our spouses because when we cherish our spouse, God loves that. And the enemy just hates that. He loves to break us down to where we push each other down and cherish says we lift each other up. And there's a phrase that he gave that I think is so astute. He said this, cherishing means radical exclusivity. That's everything that our wife, outside of God, gets our focus. God, of course, fundamental. We look at him. We give him our best. But cherishing means radical exclusivity. I want to call you, my brothers and sisters, to that very thing. As I work on it myself, radical exclusivity to the gift of the spouse sitting next to us if you are so gifted. Nothing less and nothing more. As we think about the idea of covenant, the band's got to come up. We're going to have a closing song. But I ran across a quote this week, and I'm going to take the time to read it. It's by a guy named Bruce Shelley. It says this about covenant. In modern times, we define a host of relations by contracts. These are usually for goods or services or for hard cash. The contract, formal or or informal, helps to specify failure in these relationships. The Lord did not establish a contract with Israel or with the church. He created a covenant. That's what we're talking about today. There is a difference. Contracts are broken when one of the parties fails to keep his promise. If, let us say, gives a scenario, a patient fails to keep an appointment with a doctor, the doctor is not obligated to call the house and inquire, where are you? Why didn't you show up for your appointment? He simply goes on to his next patient, and his, and his appointment secretary takes note of that, and that they failed the appointment, and then the patient may find it harder the next time to see the doctor. If it's mine, they give me like 10 calls, and then they send, they send me a bill anyway, I think is, is what they say. That's what they do nowadays. But it says the patient broke an informal contract. According to the Bible, however, the Lord asked in Isaiah 49, 15, can a mother forget the baby she feeds and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. The Bible indicates the covenant is more like the ties of a parent to her child than it is a doctor's appointment. If a child fails to show up for dinner, the parent's obligation, unlike the doctor's, isn't canceled. The parent finds out where the child is and makes sure he's cared for. One member's failure does not destroy the relationship. A covenant puts no condition on faithfulness. It is the unconditional commitment to love and serve. So as the band comes up, this is what covenant means for us today. Though we have been unfaithful, And we have. God is faithful. It's so simple. But let that go from your ears into your heart. The enemy wants to bring shame upon us. God doesn't want to bring that. He wants to expose our unfaithfulness and graciously lead us to faithfulness. The enemy oppresses. God does not. He just shows us when we're not living properly and says, there is a better way. There is a, there is a better way that, that brings much, much better things and much better fruit in our life. And for all of us in our own way, no matter where we're being unfaithful, and all of us have been somewhere unfaithful to what we're talking about, God is saying to us, there is a better way. And there's grace where we have failed. And I will be faithful. 
I will be faithful to love. I will be faithful to shed grace and pour out mercy and give forgiveness to us. And so I hope we respond today with that pathway to obedience that we say to God through the ministry of the word today, God, I'm listening. God, I hear you. And that we would take that next step to take it to heart. We would say, God, I agree with you. These areas of my life, I have been faithless. I have been unfaithful. And God, I wanna take that step to put it into practice. I obey you. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for your word. It's hard sometimes for us to encounter it as we did today. It's tough. But God, the the hope and the peace and the joy that comes alongside it is that you are with us and you are faithful and you are gracious, loving and merciful and forgiving and you are here to extend your loving kindness, not because of who we are, what we've done, but because of what you've done and who you are. So today that is our foundation and that is our blessed hope as we respond. God, we hear you. And we agree with you. Help us to obey. In Jesus' name we pray.